Welcome to Reading Round Macroeconomics. My name is Emil Kalinowski, and today's reading comes from Jeff Snyder, the head of global research at Alhambra Investments. He posted on the 20th of September at the Alhambra Investments blog, the hottest topic in macro, Evergrande. And of course, he offers his own unique twist on it. These readings are for the audience that can't read. Does that mean there's a lot of illiterate listeners? Maybe, but it's specifically for those people who are busy doing real life things, such as Dan Deckel, who in the YouTube comments section said, yes, can't read, nursing a baby. What I'm most proud of is that this show is starting so young and educating the next generation of shadow money sleuths. Already, at a few months old, we're getting them. Some wanted to call it China's Bear Stearns, and over time, it may end up being seen that way. And that would be the right way to see it. What Bear's March 2008 demise had represented was the watershed event for the Eurodollar system, the final straw which finally broke the camel's back. In the same way, CNY's was broken by this other. First, though, Ben Bernanke had made a terrible mistake of thinking his bailout of the old Wall Street name would end the crisis. Instead, it began the new monetary era. What followed from that inflection point wasn't just the worst planet-spanning financial crisis since the Great Depression. Having little to do with U.S. subprime mortgages, the global reserve monetary system which had supported cooperation and legitimate prosperity throughout much of the world behind Eurodollar globalization was cracked like Humpty Dumpty. All Greenspan's horses and all Bernanke's QEs could never have gotten it back together again. Instead, all the world's financial media failed to print poor Humpty's obituary. But in the early days of this monetary regime changed, it had been assumed the chaos and nagging depressionary effects would only limit prospects across the developed world. Emerging markets were widely believed indestructible and bulletproof, even after the events of 2008 and early 2009. Mohammed El Arian's new normal only applied to those places commonly believed directly impacted. Some would even claim that this was the opportunity for particularly China. They could use the crisis to rewrite the rules. Goodbye, King Dollar, for a new Chinese century. Europe and North America would be left behind as Asia and Latin America moved onward without them. Except, no, there had never been a genuine opening for something to replace the euro dollar, not dollar, standard. Bear Stearns had delivered its fatal wound. But since no one realized how the global system actually worked, yes, I fully realize what I'm saying here, there was nothing plausibly available to take over from it. Just one wasted QE after another. This meant the entire global economy, and all in it, would have to suffer the deflationary growth-destroying fallout at some point. 
it began to dawn in markets, not stocks. Around the time of euro dollar number two, 2011 to 12, Europe might have been caught directly at the center of the crisis's, crisis's crosshairs, but the longer run damage being done was just as potent and lasting as in these other parts in question, including China. For their part, the Chinese had reacted predictably to the original dollar shortage in that fateful summer following bear. It all may have seemed a localized problem of subprime mortgages before then, yet not long afterward, the euro-dollar breakdown truly went global. By mid-July 2008, even the PBOC got sucked into the swirling vortex just as policymakers at the Fed and elsewhere were thinking it was nearly over. The communists in China responded as any good standing Keynesians, which, by truth, they'd been taught to be loose monetary policy and a healthy, massive dose of fiscal spending. As in waste for a temporary recession, who could argue against? This is what the standard textbook says should be done when faced with a transitory shortfall in aggregate demand. Though worse elsewhere, still a serious setback for the Chinese. Euro dollar number two, though. Maybe China wasn't so bulletproof after all. It wasn't just a hypothetical question pondered at various staff levels at whichever economic or financial authority. Shock number one was Xi instead of Li. Shock number two, Shanghai Chaori Solar. Xi Jinping came to replace Hu in late 2012, and throughout 2013, and throughout 2013, his reform agenda was greeted by Western cheers. The new communist leader was strengthening. We were told. China's migration toward the brotherhood of neoliberal states. All the while, well, document number nine. <clears throat> this all coalesced into what's been called document number nine, an anodyne name given to what doesn't really have an official title. It was simply the ninth paper to be published by the party's general office in April 2013. But it was an unappreciated doozy, which mapped out the direction China was eventually followed under Xi Jinping. Chaori would become a quasi-household name that year once trading in its bonds were halted, signaling how a default event for them was pretty much inevitable. While distracted via the wrong interpretation of taper tantrum on this side of the Pacific, the markets in China were embroiled in a confusing ocean of sudden chaos during the hottest months of 2013, the summer of Shai Bor. If one might have wondered why reflation number two ended up being so short and amazingly condensed, finished off after only a few months by early September 2013 in Eurodollar futures, Chaori would have been a good place to start looking for global answers. Its somewhat meandering story, and ultimately its fate, 
were looked on as part of Xi's commitment to a more market-oriented approach, when in fact, it was really would-be China, China's bear. Let me read that again. Its somewhat meandering story, and ultimately its fate, were looked on as part of Xi's commitment to a more market-oriented approach, when in fact, it was really what would be China's bear. A monumental breakdown and regime change far more significant than the minor trivia about a small company's missed coupon payment. As their bear, this didn't mean, however, the start of a panic or crisis, rather something far worse. It was the moment when the euro dollar finally caught up to China. The defaults weren't allowed over there before, not during the nominally capitalist phase of socialism with Chinese characteristics. This had actually been one of the West's most fervent complaints, how the communists weren't playing fairly when artificially propping up or subsidizing anyone remotely connected to a local government minister. To then, in 2013, signals had suggested the game had changed, and it was believed the changing game was political rather than economic. It was economic before it became political. She had realized, or at least had begun to seriously suspect after Euro dollar number two, the game which changed was the entire global economic arrangement. If the economy worldwide wasn't going to be the same after the U.S. Bear Stearns, and it wasn't, this would almost inevitably be inevitably mean the same for China. The road to the 19th Party Congress in 2017 began with Chaori and Li Keqing was given by Xi, who hadn't yet fully consolidated his power base, only the one more chance, 2016's one final Keynesian stimulus, to pull the Chinese off of it. That one little default really had been a watershed, if not in the ways corrupted Western imaginations stuffed with QEs could have imagined. The brave new world post-Chaori in China has been the Chinese adapting to the same post-bear everywhere else. By letting this one firm go down, the communists were throwing in the towel on China's several decades of ca its capitalistic phase. Ever since, officials there and here have given many different slogans and thrown around various names, but the only label which comes close anywhere to accurately describing the situation is managed decline. That, more than anything, is what Chaori had meant, announcing the transition to those able to interpret it properly and why over time it has been nearly exactly like Bear Stearns. Now, Evergrande. Before this latest one, however, defaults had become more commonplace. Again, this consistent with managed decline rather than neoliberalism. As I keep writing, China is not going to ride to the world's reflationary rescue because there's no point if the global economy remains in the same post-bear broken state. Here's an example of official policy in action from July of this year. 
China's corporate bond defaults have hit a record high this year, highlighting tightening credit conditions and a growing reluctance by regional governments to bail out troubled state-owned firms. Except again, no, not a growing reluctance at all. This is no new development catching authorities off guard. The Chinese economy, like the global economy, is in terrible shape. It hadn't recovered from the last one, the Great Recession, and there's every reason to believe we will all simply repeat the futility after this latest one, the COVID recession, as I have been writing since October 2017's 19th Congress, the Chinese have been working tirelessly to batten down the hatches rather than waste their time bothering to piece together rescues. Decline is near certain. Whether it can be sufficiently managed is the actual challenge which remains. Evergrande is a much bigger one, no doubt, but in some ways it has already been part of the plan. Authorities over in China will do whatever they must to maintain calm and order in the short run, the managed part of the managed decline, if only to keep the Chinese people and Western observers from realizing what's truly at stake, which is a hell of a lot more than potential short-term market disruption. Evergrande, therefore, isn't really their Lehman because they've been working it out, generally speaking, for already seven and a half years since Chaori. To many, especially here outside of China, Evergrande will come as a shock, if only because they never realized what early 2014 had already proposed. Evergrande, therefore, comes as a shock in the context of 2021's growth scare. So much of the growth economists and central bankers have been counting on was supposed to be Chinese. Suddenly, seeing those chances through the lens of this property developer and how its fate looks a lot like charity, what little of recovery possibility gets dimmed that much more. Evergrande ain't something new, merely the biggest so far, making what it really represents, not inflation, that much harder to ignore. The world cannot be the same as it was before, bear, either one. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Macro Peace Theater. I enjoyed it. It was a good one. I, I flubbed a few of the lines. I'm going to write Jeff and say, I don't know, write it in crayon for me so that I can do a better job reading and stuff. Well, I hope you enjoyed it. If you are enjoying these things, please let me know in the comments on YouTube. Also on Twitter. You can find me on Twitter at Emil Kalinowski. And this show is really for the podcast audience, whereas the shows that we typically do with Jeff are, I guess, more focused for the YouTube audience. These are definitely for the podcast audience. And you can subscribe to this podcast feed everywhere, including at Verbal, Apple, Deezer, iHeart, TuneIn, Castro, Google, Spotify, Pandora, Breaker, CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher, Player FM, Podchaser, Pocket Cast, SoundCloud, Listen Notes, Amazon Music, Podcast Addict. If I ever get in shape, if I ever stop smoking, secondhand smoking, 
three packs a day, I'm going to be able to run through that entire list of podcast providers on one breath. Something to look forward to.